0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am Dan Bespris, and I am thrilled to be joined in season. I actually, well, I screwed up the time, but I did the work beforehand to make sure that I wasn't going to, and then I did it anyway. Uh... To be joined by the great Josh Lloyd at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Josh, good morning to you. Daniel, how are you? <laughs> I'm I'm pleased that that nickname stuck. I'm displeased that the Daniel House is known for only one thing at this point. And, um... Being a very solid role player, dude. <laughs> That's right. It's the only thing he's known for. That's what just, I. And no one knows me for anything else. <laughs> That's exactly how I like. I'm a very solid role player too and uh, i feel privileged to have never never been to a bubble <clears throat> never been in a bubble for a month and a half on my own i i mean i assume that everybody was going a little crazy but uh daniel house got the top billing on on the fun times in the bubble uh the, the man that ended harden's houston career. <laughs> that's exactly right is it getting warm in this youtube or is it just me uh, that's probably my light as way too bright is what's warming me up. It's definitely that, uh, we're going to talk to Josh about just a couple of the biggest topics of the day. Uh, it's, uh, very early in the morning for you on Wednesday right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's like 6:45 AM. Oh my God. Well, for real good morning. We're, uh, we're almost at lunchtime the previous day, but regardless of what time it is, we all saw the same thing happen yesterday. Uh, yeah, that would still be yesterday for you. Um, and that was Andrew Nemhart yes, going yeah. buck wild. And I think the question that's on everybody's mind, and I'll just throw this one straight to you out of the shoot, is what's the outlook for Nemhart? Because his minutes were on the rise even before Halliburton went down, but obviously the role shifts a little bit.
1: Yeah, so you know, I think people don't pay as much attention to this uh, is what we do and that's fine because that's what our jobs are Dan but yeah, people have to understand a couple of things here in them part is it, if people said oh yeah well he's just going to move back to the bench his third string behind Halliburton and McConnell go, no no he's starting like he was starting before all of this happened he was even when he came off the bench he was prioritized ahead of McConnell anyway and before Halliburton went down I was like okay let's add him let's add him in 12 team leagues and we'll see what happens then of course yeah, this happened which is not going to stick he's not going to have um, this level of usage or this level of assist opportunities. But he was pushing up against 12-team league value anyway. He had a tennis this game playing next to Halliburton like uh, three games ago. Um, so while this level of production's not sustainable, e- even if he was the starter, this level of production wouldn't be sustainable. Or, or, sorry, the starting point guy with no Halliburton. Um, he's still going to be starting, I would expect, next to Heald. He'll get 28 to 30 minutes. He will get some assist opportunities. We saw Heald average like five or six next to Halliburton last season. So no reason that Nempard, who's a significantly better passer, can't do that. But we just have to temper from what the last two games have shown us.
0: Do you think, and and sort of spinning this more into an Indiana as a whole discussion, the the way this the season arc has gone... Out of the chute, Lakers completely falling apart at the seams, Pacers actually playing pretty well to start the season, and then they've leveled off a little bit now. What do you think the outlook is for Indy's tradable assets? Because for about the last four months, those guys have already been gone, but they're still there. And then what does that mean for someone like Nemhard or the sort of the remaining pieces on that team? Because last night we saw Miles Turner out and it was actually Jalen Smith who took a big step forward.
1: Mm. Yeah, well it's it is confusing, isn't it? Because you we hear and you talk to Pacers people and it's like, look, Miles is definitely getting down. It's the last year of his contract. This team's never gonna outrightly tank, but they're happy to sort of rebuild on the fly. And then they're good. And yeah, that sort of throws everything into the mix. And one thing I think we know, Dan, is that like when we hear trade rumors, like just don't believe him. Like just this guy's getting traded, it's just not gonna happen. Because it happens all the time. Like a uh, Russell Westbrook, he's gone. Like uh, all right. He's still there. Miles Turner, five years. John Collins? Being traded every year for his entire career. Um, remember how long it took? Those rumors we heard about Brook Lopez getting traded from when he was in Brooklyn it took like it didn't it like four years for that to happen. So yeah, I think we we still never learn our lesson. Right? But it just those these sort of things that we just assume are going to happen. They they might not. So much weird stuff can happen in the NBA. and I talked about this on my show yesterday, not to sidetrack completely. But so many people, Dan, in drafts like, I'm not drafting. There's too many tanking teams. Everyone's tanking for Wem and Yaba. And like nobody is. Like who the Spurs are? But maybe they're just maybe they're just bad. But nobody is doing anything in season really to consistently lose games by fake injuries, sitting guys, dumb rotations. Like the Thunder are doing dumb rotations because they're winning games. Like All of these teams that we assumed, and maybe when we get to April, things will change. But the sky
0: is falling stuff on these teams, it just hasn't come to pass at all. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because coming into the season, I was looking at a lot of the season win totals, and it felt like the worst few teams this year were going to be better than the worst few teams in prior years, simply because they were the same teams, plus like one to one and a half decent players added to them. And it's actually been beyond that teams like the Pacers the Thunder have actually gotten out to good starts heaven forbid now we'll see what sort of shenanigans like you said take place later on but yeah I mean you can't avoid everybody and then I played more on the roto side so you know at that point you don't really have to think about it and actually the last time you and I spoke on this show we were talking about whether or not I asked you if if you thought Shea's ADP would move earlier because it was looking again like he was going to be able to start the year and you said no the news is too late like people have already made up their minds that he's hurt to start the year. And now he's ended up being maybe the best, one of the best picks in all of fantasy basketball. Uh, pivoting to the next of our hot topics, and it's actually someone mentioned it in the chat room, so I'll throw it in there quickly here at the front end. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich in Atlanta. Where do you think he his arc takes him? Uh, how many minutes can he get? Is, are there going to be enough shots for him? I know a bunch of guys are out right now, and that makes it a little harder to handicap, but... Is he someone that you're sticking at the end of your bench and kind of seeing how it shakes out?
1: I don't really see huge differences from where he's been in previous seasons, where he's a 28 to 30-minute night guy off the bench. So he did say... Yesterday, that for the next three games, or something they're going to stay at 22, 23 minutes and then ramp up to 26 after that. And then you'll push to 28, 29, 30 minutes. Now, the, the guys who aren't there is Gallinari and Herta, and then DeJounte Murray is there. So is there a net positive or negative change in terms of usage? I think it ends up being probably pretty neutral. He just, yeah, the way they've been staggering Trey and DeJounte the whole time um, may decrease his value because the value of Bogdanovich was running the second unit and being like a de facto point guard. We know they never had a backup point guard, so it was him. Most of that time, and he'd get that extra couple of assists there. Um, what he did yesterday with that shooting, obviously, is not real. Like, what, he hit four threes in about five minutes to start the game. That's not something that's a likely scenario. But he's, I think, his upside's pretty low. Actually, Dan, like, it's, he's never going to like well, wait till he gets thirty minutes, he'll blow up and be a top forty player. I just think the ecosystem of that team probably doesn't allow that. But he can be really sort of solid around the say ninety to one hundred and thirty
0: type of mark as we just
1: you know, build up his minutes over the next few weeks.
0: Excellent. Next big topic. We're, we're firing through here, man. I want to make sure we get you in and out. This is a busy day. It's early in the morning. Josh needs more coffee. Uh, so we're going to make these mm-hmm. minutes count. Kawhi Leonard finally played and actually didn't look quite as stuck in the mud yesterday. What do you do with him if you have him in a head-to-head league? Is there any scenario where you would trade for him? Or is at this point you're like trying to figure out a way to get off of Kawhi and last night was just sort of like a good data point in that direction.
1: I think it's a great data point, honestly, for Kawhi. Like, I don't think we, he gets back to the same per game level that he's had in the past, which is pretty weird because yeah. Jamal Murray is basically there right now. Like, these are you know, ACL injuries. I know he's had other sort of problems, but he should be he should be ahead of where he is. But that, that's beside the point. He still looked a little heavy. I thought um, not, not fat, but just like bulkier and just like a little bit less explosive. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. With Kawhi, but the fact that first game back after missing whatever this was a week and a half, two weeks off the ankle injury, and he's straight into twenty-eight minutes, I think that's really encouraging. Like there are there are plenty of doomsayers out there. It's like Kawhi is cooked. He'll never play thirty minutes a night ever again. He's never playing forty games in a season ever again. I don't think it's going to be long before he's playing thirty minutes a night. To be honest, like I think before Christmas he'll be hitting thirty-one, thirty-two. Yes, he's still going to sit all back-to-backs. So that yeah, we knew that. We knew that heading into the season before whatever this setback thing was we knew that he (laughs) wasn't going to play those games but i think first game in playing 28 minutes the game winner should give him some confidence he's still not back but like that that's a huge to me that's a huge data point if he had to play 23 this is going to be another three weeks of slowing down and seeing where he goes and a slow ramp up but there's no no 28 and okay so he's gonna hit 30 pretty soon i'm I'm, he's not gonna stay at 28 all season is what i'm trying to say and there's only two more minutes until you hit 30 it's not going to take long so what do you do with him then? Is there is there a right answer? No, that's that's the thing. I, yeah. I you know, how, how big are your balls really? Like and what is the <laughs> Not that is, big. Not that big, offer? Josh. <laughs> what is what is the offer that you're, you know, that you're taking to acquire him? I I wouldn't feel good about acquiring him, but if it is at the cost of a player that's sort of outperforming who is a back-end sort of guy? like someone like that springs to mind are two names who i think are overperforming and are going to drop off like you know kelly Ubre, bol bowl like i'm pretty confident then we january and february their production is going to drop off i feel pretty confident in saying that if i could send those two guys and get Kawhi back knowing that i get some short-term pain yeah probably would do it but you know, if it means me sending uh like a cj mccullum it's a bad example because he's terrible at the moment, but one of those players and then hoping the Kawhi beat him on a per-game basis, I wouldn't do that because there's just too much variance in that, I think.
0: I want to talk to you, Josh, and I sometimes I, I forget here when I'm doing these impromptu video sides as well. Uh, for those listening on the traditional podcast channel, which will be most of you, we're talking to the great Josh Lloyd at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Drop him a follow post-haste. Uh, Anthony Davis, I, I don't think I can have you on the show without asking about AD. He is... He's boat racing the NBA right now, number one, and nobody's close. Nobody's close. But what, again, this is this whole, like, what do you do thing? I I think I probably am am inclined to just kind of ride it out. I watch a lot of Lakers basketball, for better or worse, generally worse. um, And he looks really, really good. um, But, I mean, I know your stance on injuries. Like, they can pretty much happen to anybody, and... The top of the fantasy pack, there's maybe what one, two guys in there where you're like, yeah, this guy, like I feel pretty good about him playing through little things in a way that maybe AD wouldn't if his team wasn't desperately needing every win right now. I, I like, I don't know how you can get fair value back for Anthony Davis, but I, I've talked enough. What do you, what do you do with him besides just enjoy it while you have him? Yeah, that's it. Well, you,
1: you can't get fair value back for him. I didn't think he still had this level of play in him. Um, But one of the things I think is really key to to what he's doing, I'll talk about the value of him in a second, is that we've, I don't know if you have, but I have and a lot of people have been saying, like AD, mate, like your best position is at centre. Can you please play centre? Like, no, I want to play centre. And then he gets lost out at the four and all of his per minute numbers had declined from playing a position that wasn't suited to him, in my opinion. He's moved back to centre center and he's dominating the rebounds which had been declining basically every season dan are right back up again it's defensive stats through the roof obviously efficiency through the roof he's not taking threes that he can't hit anymore like he's everything's way up and it is a change in mindset and a change of position that's helping that and this is a guy that everyone everyone wants to bang on and bang on and bang on about injuries all the time like he's had multiple seasons playing 75 plus games like this is not a guy who's never stayed healthy and the fact that we saw in like game one or something here that massive fall on his back and he couldn't, he couldn't move. Would he miss a game? So like the narrative around him sometimes trumps reality. Oh, he's too soft. He'll, he'll miss every game. Any little thing. Oh, what did he do? Did he hurt his vagina? Did he tear his fingernail? Like, no. He bruised his back and he played through it and he's still ripping the ass out of the entire NBA. So yeah, sometimes that narrative stuff, it makes it impossible to trade him away because people have this burnt into their head without thinking through yeah, a million different other scenarios which are probably more closer to reality.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm sitting with it too. At this point, you just, you just love it. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I like. Yeah. Have you been able to watch some of these games live? It's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I don't know how I don't know how it's happening. Like, I do know how it's happening. <laughs> but
1: the fact that this guy's been missing for three years, yeah, it's like yeah, wow. This player hasn't existed for this long, and it's just he is taking on that position that he needs to to play. And he's doing it at such a high level where he's now just like, okay, I'm I'm the best here. Just let me do what I need to do. Where in the past, it was maybe a confidence thing with LeBron. I
0: don't know what it was, but he's killing it. Yeah, he's finally taken over a little bit of that alpha seat. Last question for you, Josh, before mm-hmm. we let you go. And this one's a little bit more of a broad strategic thing. We're seven weeks into the season. We've kind of seen guys level off, uh, not completely, but we have a better idea. Guys kind of are who they are at this point. So what do you do with your teams at this time of year? Because I find trades to be much harder once there isn't that big uh, disagreement between parties on what a player might actually become. It feels like this is the part of the year where streaming is like the only thing going on. But are there other strategies that you're using in December to kind of get a little bit of a leg up on opponents? No, I agree with that because it's something I talk
1: about a lot On my show, and I'm sure you do too, Danny, is is in head-to-head the value of streaming, but also that that later into the season you go, the more important that becomes. Like, I'm more than happy to take losses in week one, week two, week three, just holding a guy, waiting to see what happens. Let's grab a guy. Is this role for real? Is this production for real? And the people go, I can't add him. I've got my streaming spot. Don't worry about that. Like, streaming when you get to the playoffs, yes. Like, be brutal. Cut. guys. Maximize games. If you lose a week 4-5 versus winning 5-4 because you didn't get one extra game on a Sunday, it doesn't matter. We are getting to that situation now where every week we move closer to the playoffs, that importance of streaming and gaining those extra games does become more um, important. And the value of these random guys who you find off the waiver wire really only starts to appear through injuries, not through Random rotation, role changes, or anything like that—we've already seen a lot of that stuff. So it's going to be like yeah, being ready to pounce on on an injured guy, but also just maximizing what you're doing on a week by week basis, solidifying your team. You try to make the trades if you can. This and it's that's so hard to do, you know, making trades that, that benefit you. It can be hard, and a lot of people make trades because they love doing it and, and get it wrong and hurt their team. But <laughs> being out there and they Dan people love trading. Man. They, <laughs> they, they really absolutely do. love doing it. And they love trading for the sake of trade, not for the sake of making their team better, which yeah, is obviously a, a mindset that you've got to really be cautious with. But if you go out there and you're looking at, at the deals. You got to try and find the way that people are valuing prospects. That you and there might not be many of them. And the names I brought up there were, were Bowl and Ubre, two guys who I am much more down on than a lot of other people are. Just because I'm trying to foresee what happens to them in January, in February, like what happens with the other players coming back. And while again, I'm still might take a little bit of hit early on on their on their value for what they're providing. And maybe not so much Bowl at the moment. We've seen a little bit of that cut away. Right. That that's where the differences in opinions tend to lie on those or find the reactive manager in your league who's like man I can't with Fred Van Vliet he cost me the week every week Terry Regier's been actually trash and then you go I'll I'll take those players because I can absorb a bad field goal percentage week or two like that's the sort of trade you do but otherwise every week we push closer to the playoffs the more importance you should have in streaming and getting that flow going I think
0: yeah, actually makes what Nemhard has been doing the last week or so, even before Halliburton, so surprising because you don't usually see that kind of rotation shift on December 6th or whatever the heck day it is. 7th for you, sorry. Yeah, he, he also had the, the situation where he sort of had pushed into this role and yeah. then he got hurt. And then
1: there was Neesmith and then all these random guys. But as soon as he came back, he played like 26 minutes, I think, in his first game back. Twenty-four minutes coming off the bench, so he had pushed not quite, or maybe he started some games. He sort of pushed into that role. Um, The other complicating factor with him is: is what do they do with Duarte, who is I think worse than Nemhard? But does he cut into some of that? I I think he's significantly worse. But the last time we saw Duarte, I think he scored thirty-eight points. His only good game for the season, but there's still some other things to play out there. But you're right that it is it is weird to see these changes. And look, even you got one in Chicago with Alex Caruso replacing Iodisu and Javante Green replaced Patrick Williams, and then. Of course, Green got hurt one game later, but you don't get those changes all that often.
0: No. Yeah, it all happens in this this wild ebb and flow. Uh, Josh, thank you so much, my man, for doing this. Um, you were ready to go. I wasn't ready to go. Again, dummy over here. Uh, but Josh, the true professional on the other side, able to take care of things. Um, thank you, my man. We'll talk soon. No worries, Dan. Thank you. I want to remind you guys, by the way, while we are taking this little respite between fantasy nuggets to check out our buddies over at Manscaped.com. I'm not going to bother throwing the graphic up on the screen here on the YouTube side because it takes uh, more effort than I'm willing to put in right now. (laughs) It's full laziness. Uh, But I am going to tell you all about them. The code over there is Ethos20 to get 20% off and free shipping on anything at Manscaped.com, including what I deem to be the single finest sideburn trimmer ever created the lawnmower 3.0 not 4.0 I know they've got the four sorry manscaped I'm dogging on your four the three is better the three was better that's just the way it is and you can still get it over there and it's cheaper than the four now that cheap isn't the right word you're never supposed to refer to something as cheap it's more affordable than the four because it's not a cheap piece of equipment it's actually quite a nice one I think it's like 60 bucks before you use the coupons you can get 12 bucks off get free shipping Spend your 40-some-odd dollars on a Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0, and then you'll never need another sideburn trimmer as long as you live. Simple as that. Pinch-free technology. It's awesome. Ethos 20 is the promo code. Once again, go check them out at manscaped.com. Big thank you once again to the great Josh Lloyd. I think that he and I are going to be doing something over on his show in the next couple of days, which would be a lot of fun. Maybe we'll get a mailbag going over there. Uh, This show is not a mailbag. Uh, I had a few sort of big topics. One of them happened to actually appear in the chat room, so I just bumped that to the front of the line. Um, I, Bogdan Bogdanovich was going to be the last thing we talked about because I thought it was sort of the least pressing of the items, um, but it was in there, so I figured, what the hey. Uh, as far as everything else that went on yesterday, I do want to go through a few other of the games here and just knock out a couple of really important things that I thought we, we ought to talk about. Uh, Milwaukee and Orlando, the big thing there. Uh, first of all, Mo Bamba practiced, so if you were going to dive into the um, the center pecking order of Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, Mo Wagner, don't worry about it. Mo's replacing Mo's over there. I feel like I'm watching the Three Stooges. The more important thing, I thought, is that Markel Fultz really solidifying himself as that starting point guard. He was a plus eight in a game they lost by seven. So that tells you, I thought, most of what—and I know plus minus is a little bit deceiving— But he was good. He was attacking. He had an outside shot. He didn't get as many assists as I would have liked because Paolo was doing a lot of the orchestrating. But Fultz was wonderful. Got his two steals. Made his free throws. That's a big one. Uh, He has really nice rest of season appeal. And then Josh mentioned Bol Bol, who we've already started to taper off, and we've talked about it on the podcast. His body just had never seen a workload like this. To me, this is where you're just going to see fatigue start to creep in. Maybe more than anything else. Forget opportunity because it's still there, and you know Jonathan Isaac went down to their their G League team supposedly to practice. I don't know. I'm, I'll believe it when I see it with that dude. And yeah, he would cut into Bull Bull as well. Um, but I mean, this is like this is basically like a rookie wall um, for a guy who's not really built for massive endurance. All that to say, you probably can't trade Bull after a bad ball game. Maybe you can find someone in your league that's excited about what he had already done. But a couple of slower ones have dropped him out of the top. 60 now, slowly coming down, even though he does have that really cool fantasy stat set, and so then perhaps wait for something to click again. Like, Milwaukee is a really bad matchup for him. Bobby Portis and Giannis on the other side in the front court, that ain't good. Wagner somehow survived the madness. He did foul out in 32 minutes. Bold didn't foul out. He just, like, you're not going to handle it. And then Chris Middleton, rusty. Nothing to worry about there. We talked about Kawhi for the Clippers. Paul George also looked good in his return. I don't think there's a whole lot else to discuss from that ball game, so we can just kind of jump past it. Oklahoma City at Atlanta. This one there is a couple of uh, storylines that we need to dive into. Storyline number one: Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who we've been talking up on this podcast, it was okay but not very good. Ten and six with a couple of three balls, but he went four for six from the field, and more importantly than anything else, twenty nine minutes give me 29 minutes of a starting center uh that doesn't miss all of his free throws and i'll show you a dude that i'm putting on a fantasy team i'm very positive i like what i'm seeing out of him yes his minutes could vanish just the way that Alexei pokushevsky's minutes have vanished also by the way you can drop poku you know does Jalen williams then slot in there just isn't really another obvious center on that roster um besides Mike Muscala. And he's not about to come for 25 minutes. And you might see Poku at the 5 from time to time, but not against Clint Capella. So, yeah, matchups might dictate it a little bit. But at this point, Robinson Earl has had uh, lots of opportunity. And if you go all the way back to November 18th, his minutes have been in the mid to high 20s or higher pretty much every single game, but for one. Against Chicago, we only played 20. They beat him, by the way. Thunder continue to you call it accidentally win ball games, but they won. Uh, over on the Atlanta side, A.J. Griffin, 30 minutes. He was another guy we wanted to talk about here. We already mentioned Bogdan Bogdanovich with Josh, so I don't think we need to recycle that discussion point. Jarrett Culver's not a guy I'm interested in. Um, Jalen Johnson is more of a rebounding specialist than anything else. I think Griffin's the guy, if you're looking for an Atlanta fill-in, at least here, while Collins and Hunter are out. Um... And that's about as far as you need to go with that one. For Toronto, we heard today that Freddie Van Fleet's shot is actually missing left and right. That was a weird little nugget that floated by on Twitter today. It's not something I've actually ever seen uh, listed about a player in a shooting slump. But he's off target. He's a great buy low because of that. Because as as bad as we know Freddie is from a uh, field goal percent standpoint, He's at 35.5% right now, and that's going to come up to 39 or 40, and everything's going to level off because the other stuff for him is fine. And when that field goal percent comes back and doesn't become a game-changing negative, still, he's generally kind of a punt field goal guy anyway, but you'll see the threes come up. You'll see the points come up. You'll probably see assists come up just because he's going to be in better spirits. You might even see steals come up. He's in his own head right now, uh, and that'll sort itself out. James Harden came back for Philly and we got what we expected, which was much less shake Milton, who's probably droppable. He played 27 minutes, which is something, but that's not going to be enough for him. Uh, 10 shots is not going to be enough for him. De'Anthony Melton still did more than enough. 40 minutes. Uh, we saw this the first time when any one player is out for the Sixers, Melton's the guy that jumps in and takes that spot. And Tyrese Maxey is still out. So... You know, while while we're kind of working through that part of the equation, Melton just subbing in for Maxi instead. He's the first man up. Easy. On the Houston side, Tyra Eason showed off his great fantasy game again, and, you know, in this one, 21 minutes actually turned out to be enough. Game-to-game 21 has been borderline for him. Um, he is, as we've talked about, like a little early to take that plunge, although on the head-to-head side... You could make the argument that he's doing kind of enough to where, like, you mix in some of these good ones with the bad ones, and then he's, like, streamer level, and that's fine. Roto, you're probably just sitting on him right now, because on any given day, he might get 11 minutes and do nothing. It happens, it's happened regularly. But boy, Houston, you are one veteran getting shipped out away from all of this stuff just being... So delicious. Eason would see another five or six minutes. K.J. Martin would see another dozen minutes probably. Oh, man. You guys know, and like, this is not me picking on Eric Gordon because I got no problem with him individually. I just have a problem with him playing 40 minutes on a tanking team. Why? What's the point? Veteran leadership, okay, fine. But like, Eason, you're stunting growth there. K.J. Martin, you're stunting. Like, it's, it's... what is the benefit, what is the cost basis here on Gordon? It just doesn't add up in my head. Like, I I get it sometimes. You want to put, like, a young point guard with a bunch of, or an old point guard with a bunch of young players so that someone can kind of steer the ship. Like Conley in Utah, who, by the way, is expected to play tomorrow. Conley in Utah. A lot of young guys on that team. Some of them are, like, middling veterans. Like, Jordan Clarkson's been around a while. But, like, Markkanen's pretty young, and Sexton's still pretty young. I know these guys have been in the league for a couple of years, but it's a young team They need that one old goat to keep everything going forward. Houston doesn't need that, and especially not from a small forward chucking three-pointer spot. I don't fully get it. I know they won, and I'm thinking most Houston fans would agree with me because they would care more about seeing Eason, I would think Eason over Martin, but maybe all of the above, than seeing Eric Gordon and like winning an extra two games on the year. I don't know how Miami lost to a jawless less Memphis and a Conchar and a baneless less Memphis, but it happened. There were no fantasy implications here. Uh, Jimmy Butler's sitting out back-to-backs right now, and, you know, honestly, if that keeps him from having to rest a week and a half for other stuff, then I'm all for it. Um, this means that guys like Caleb Martin and Max Struess get bumped back above the streamline for one game only, and it also gives us a nice indicator of what we can do with those guys when you look ahead at the rest of miami's schedule because there will be other opportunities for that as well tyus jones super stream but i think jaw and conjar uh, all these guys well not bane because he's the he was not a rest today they, they just listed injuries from memphis but i'm guessing most of those guys are back for their next one uh phoenix blown out by the luca uh i was gonna say josh green tim hardaway spencer didn't we they're just bombing away, man. Mavs hit 23 pointers. Dinwiddie and Hardaway each hit five. Josh Green had 16, four, and five with a couple of steals, but he shot six out of seven from the field. He's just not going to be able to do this kind of thing with the amount of usage he gets and the minutes bouncing around a little bit. He got to add it in a lot of leagues, and he's going to get dropped in a lot of leagues after their next one or two ball games. But as we keep saying, Tim Hardaway, he's warm now, so you better get him in your lineup and cash in on this ridiculous three-pointer run while you can. Meanwhile, campaign double-doubled with six rebounds, but four of 16 shooting, no steals, no blocks. I'm just not a big fan. I am, however, somewhat concerned that we're not hearing anything about Chris Paul getting closer. He practiced with the team in the middle of last week, and then just poof, nothing. Uh, And then we already talked about Andrew Nemhard on the Indiana side. I think it's also worth mentioning how Jalen Smith looked a lot better with no Miles Turner, but you know who didn't get much more? Isaiah Jackson only got like an extra five or six minutes. And his line was was solid enough. Jackson took 10 shots in 19 minutes, had 13 points in three blocks, and that's more than enough for fantasy. And, and we've known this about Ijax. He only really needs 20, 21 minutes to be a fantasy play. But it looks more like Jalen Smith, who I still think is a drop, by the way, when Indiana's healthy, is the guy that benefits more from a potential Miles Turner trade. At the same time, we don't really know what happens to Indy if or when Miles gets traded. They may change the way that they're playing the season because right now they're still trying to win ball games. And for whatever reason, Rick Carlisle doesn't think that that's Jackson every game, even though he was a plus 14 in this one. Nemard was a plus 16. Ooh, what a sick game for that kid. And Steph Curry had his first real clunker of the year. And he fell into third place. He's behind Shea. He's now tied, actually, with Kevin Durant for third place in fantasy. And Anthony Davis is now officially the 24th-ranked player in between AD and Shea. AD is worth Shea, the number two player in fantasy, and (laughs) Cat. And if that's not the craziest thing you've heard today, well, then I don't know where to take you with this thing. And that is the uh, other stuff from yesterday's boxes. I wanted to make sure we got into today's show. Uh, and we can take this the rest of this stuff over to social media. Once again, I'm at Dan Besper's. Those of you watching on video, you can see it right there on the screen. Those of you watching on video, I would encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube page. Hit that like button. Those of you listening on the traditional channels, come join us when I throw these impromptu uh, live tapings together. They're fun. They're silly. I don't know. Seems like some of you guys sort of enjoy it. Uh, And again, uh, at Dan Bespris over on Twitter, we'll get some streamer boards going. I know it's not a particularly large card tonight, but it's the Lakers, so someone's going to be watching. Uh, Thank you again to Josh Lloyd. Uh, One more time, I am at Dan Bespris. Have a delightful day. To those of you on the recorded side and those of you on the YouTube side, I'm going to give you a different sign-off in a minute. So stick with me here, video folks. Recorded folks, I'll talk to you tomorrow.